was a junior in high school, and uh, this couple that that I knew um, gave me tickets they couldn't use to a concert. And the concert was for the um, the Gaither Vocal Band. Those of you that that know, not typically your high school music scene, but um, they gave me tickets to this this um, concert, and I'd grown up listening to the Gaither Vocal Band, so I took a, a friend of mine, it's kind of, you can say I, I had a date to the Gaither Vocal Band, and we went to the concert that night, and um, it was it was fantastic, I mean, they were amazing, but it was in the, kind of the intermission for the music that one of the members of the, the, the band, uh, who, one of the singers, kind of did a, uh, did a stand-up routine, did comedy, um, which was a little out of character, what we expected for the Gaither vocal band, but was absolutely hysterical. And since that time, became known as much for his comedy as he did, as does for his music. Some of you know who I'm talking about, some of you don't. The, the person I'm referring to is a man by the name of Mark Lowry, who has sung for years, but is, is just incredibly funny, very, very much a, a funny man. Now, why do I share that? Because the song that you just heard, Mary Did You Know, was written by Mark Lowry. And when I first learned that, it was kind of surprising because I didn't really connect the, the more serious, reflective nature of that song with the personality that, that he so often shows. It was written, that song was written, well, actually, the, the words were written in 1984. You heard them in 1984 as a poem, a reflection for the church uh, for a Christmas production or something that, that the church where he attended. And then a few years later, a guitarist by the name of um, Buddy Green, I believe is the name. Let me make sure I'm getting that right. Um, is that, okay, I'm being told yes, Buddy Green. That he, uh, he put it to music. And it was released in 1991 in January on an album by Michael English, which is kind of interesting that the song actually was released after the, uh, the Christmas season, but it was released by Michael English, who was also a member of the Gaither Vocal Band. So uh, Mark wrote it, and he gave it to Michael English to perform, and since that time has become one of the most popular Chris songs of Christmas that we hear in just um, so many ways. I think it, it peaked at one point at number six on the, the Christian you know, billboard chart or, or however they, they categorize that, but in, in the years since has been covered by any number of artists. Um, Kenny Rogers and Winona Judd did a version of it. Um, one of my second favorite version is Pentatonix. Uh, they did a version, my first favorite you just heard. So, uh, um, so it is, it is a, a beautiful, a beautiful um, reflective song, and, and as, as you hear, and, and, and as we do this through the season, through this Advent season, if you haven't been with us these last couple weeks, each Sunday, I've kind of, we've looked at this Christmas story, the story of the birth of Christ, through the lens of, of a Christmas song, both secular or sacred, a, a song that shapes part of the season for us. And, and we do that through Mary Did You Know this morning. It is each, each verse of the song, each, each couplet, if you will, reflects on, on this question 
through the eyes of Mary as she looked at her child, what did she fully understand, grasp, know about the significance of, of the man that he would become and, and the life that he leads? So there are these reflective questions. You know, Mary, did you know that your, your, one, your son would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your, your baby boy would save our, our sons and daughters? You know, did you know that he's, he's walked where angels trod, that when you kiss your baby's face, you kiss the face of God? I mean, these kind of questions. What did Mary know? What did she understand about all these events that were, were happening around her and, and the, the circumstances, the remarkable circumstances, not just of the birth of Christ, but, but of her life and the role that she would play in that? What did Mary know? So, to go deeper with that question, let's turn to the Gospels. Luke, chapter 1, the verse, verse 26, where we are introduced to the first time, for the first time, to Mary. And we begin to get some insight into some of the things that, that we can say, I think, with confidence that she knew. So, beginning at verse 26, again, Luke, chapter 1, this is what we read. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive in her, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would be open to your word and your voice as it speaks and a story that that, that communicates your truth to us anew. So bless these moments and the words here that are spoken. May they be to your glory and inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we get this, as I said, this introduction to Mary. It's the first time that we meet Mary, this woman that would be such an instrumental figure in the story of Christ. In fact, it's the second significant woman that we get introduced in the very first chapter of Luke. Luke has an interesting way of doing that. I, I, I read recently in something I'd never heard before that Luke has the most favorable treatment of women of all the Gospels. That there are many places in the Gospel of Luke where, where women take central, central stage, uh, central importance, if you will, which again, in a culture in the Middle East was not, was not a common practice, was, not, was, was somewhat unheard of. But here we have Mary, just previous to Mary, we've been introduced 
to her cousin Elizabeth, who is visited by Gabriel. Gabriel's really busy in the first chapter of Luke. He visits Elizabeth to let her know that she's going to have a child, which is remarkable because of her advanced age. Then visits Mary. Later on, we have um, Mary and Martha as central figures, the woman who anoints Jesus' hair with oil, the women who go to the tomb in the, in the, uh, the day of resurrection. And in Acts, which is written by the same writer of Luke's, we have Lydia and others. I mean, there, there's this, this narrative woven throughout Luke that reminds us of the, of the important role that women would play in the life of Christ and in the ministry of the early church. And no woman is more central to that story than Mary. And so she is, she's introduced to us through this encounter with the angel Gabriel, who comes to, to make this announcement of, of Mary's impending um, pregnancy, of, of Mary's um, call to, to be the vessel in which God himself would enter human history. And so we go back to, to that question that we framed this, this time with this morning, that, that, that we heard through the song this morning. What did, what did Mary know? What, is, what does Mary know about what is going on in her life? And, and what she knows is exactly what the angel tells her. And, and if I treat it a little out of order, one of the things she knows right out of the gates is that there is nothing that's impossible to God. Nothing impossible with God. In fact, the, the version that I read on a Sunday morning, out of the scriptures that I read, is a New International Version. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the multitude of, of versions of the scriptures, but there, there's a number. There's the New International, the New King James Version, the New Revised Standard Version, the Common English Bible, the Message, the Voice. There's dozens and dozens of them. And, and I read from the New International Version. Somebody once asked me, what, is that the best version? And I said, no, not necessarily, but it's the version with the big letters that someone gave to me, and I can read it on Sunday, so, so I choose that. And I like the New International Version. I, I say that only halfway in jest. But, but what, I bring that up because verse 37 of the New International Version says this, For no word from God will ever fail. That's an interesting translation, and it's outside the norm. Most of the versions of the Bible that I looked over... The way that I've most often heard that, and you may be familiar with it, maybe if you're looking in your Bible, it's translated this way. Verse 37 says this, nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. And it is in response to this, this question that Mary asks, how can this be? That Gabriel announces, you are going to have a child. You're going to have a baby. And Mary says the most obvious thing imaginable. She says, how? I've never been with a man. I'm not married. I've not had that intimacy. Mary knows how childbirth works. And, and she says, this isn't possible. And that's where the angel then, when explaining, Gabriel explains how this is going to be and reminds her nothing's impossible with God. We have this story that is, that is remarkable, that is controversial. Scholars argue, you know, biblical people who study the narratives, uh, people from secular perspectives argue with that because at its level it is absurd. I mean, it is an absurd declaration that this woman who was a virgin is going to have a child. If, if somebody came in to, to here today or so you were having lunch later and somebody sat down at your table, a young woman sat down and said, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, and, um, but I'm a virgin. God did it. Exactly. That's what you would do. You would go, somebody call 
a psychologist, somebody to get this woman some counseling. And, and it's no different with Mary because it's an impossibility until it isn't. And that's how God chooses to, to enter. It's not how God had to, but it's how God chose to. And that's the, the part of this story. And, and so we were faced with this challenge right away that Mary was faced with. Do we, do we accept the truth of this impossibility? Now, Mary, it would become obvious to her. But, but we have a different perspective. We have, to, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take something on faith? Because there's other ways to explain it, of course. It's been explained that Mary was making up the whole story. Or other things, or she was kind of covering some past indiscretions. The reality is we're presented with this challenge right out of the gate. Do we accept this on faith? Because faith always leaves room for another explanation. Fred Craddock tells a story of being in... in um, Fred Craddock is preacher and teacher. And, and he tells about being outside of um, Bethlehem and talking to a Jewish man there who was explaining that when at certain times of the year, when you're out in the fields looking back toward the city at night that there's a star that will appear in the sky that almost looks, because of the way the hills are, it makes it look like the star is right over the city of Bethlehem. And he was telling Fred Craddock, he's like, that's, that's what confused the, um, the, the shepherds. Now, he got the story wrong. He met wise men. But he said, that's what the wise men saw. They saw this star, and they just thought it was over the city of Bethlehem because of the, the way it appears. And Fred Craddock looked at him and said, well, that's one way to look at it. And, and he looked at him. He said, well, well of course. Of course, it's only one way to look at it. And he said, I had a rabbi years ago that said, any miracle that God performs, there's always another way to look at it. Any miracle God performs, there's always another way to look at it. In fact, if something happens and there's no other way to explain it, then it wasn't from God. Isn't that interesting? If something happens, a miracle, and there's no other way to explain it, it wasn't from God. Now, that seems counterintuitive to me. But what he was saying and what Fred Craddock reflects on is the fact that God never compels us to faith. God invites us to faith. But there are other ways that people can rationalize or explain or, or, or um, discount any of the miracles or, or miraculous things, Christ or in any part of the scriptures. There's always another way you can, can understand it. But faith invites us to trust that God's hand is in it. And that's what the angel says to Mary. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And so she becomes this player in this story that God has chosen her to be a part of. And this is the other thing that Mary knows. This is what the angel says to her. You are favored. That's interesting. It's an interesting proclamation. Mary, you have been chosen for this because you are favored. In fact, we could translate that as you are blessed. And if we understand that Mary's role in this, Mary was called because she was blessed, then it will force you to rethink how we often understand blessings to be. It will force you to rethink what is often a very narrow understanding of what a blessing looks like. Because most often when we talk about being blessed, we talk about it when things are really going our way. When, when things work out in our favor, you get a, a big raise at work, I'm blessed. Um, you know, your, your, your kids are doing really well in whatever they're doing. We're just, we're blessed. 
um, you know, uh, relationships, personal achievements, whatever it is, when we talk about being blessed, it's because most often we've had something happen to us that is really good, really favorable. Now, hear me say that. I'm not telling you not to consider those blessings, all right? But if that's what a blessing looks like, if that's the, the scope of a blessing, I'm blessed when things go my way and things work out in my favor and life is good, then you have a very, very narrow concept of what a blessing looks like. In fact, I would even push you further to say you have a very unbiblical understanding of what a blessing looks like. Because the angel says to Mary, you are favored. You are blessed. Well, let's talk about this blessing that Mary's about to receive. She is probably 14 years old. I know that's kind of, that kind of makes us cringe, but that was a cultural reality. Girls at that age, that's the age of, 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 of marriage, most common. 14 years old. She's not yet married, and she's about to be pregnant. She lives in a culture and is part of a faith, and that can be a capital offense. You can be stoned for being pregnant out of wedlock. You, Mary, are blessed. She faces the perspective of having to explain this to a fiancé, not knowing that the angel's also going to appear to Joseph. And it doesn't tell us that she was clued into that. So she's now facing the reality of having to explain this to her fiancé. Mary, you are blessed. The turmoil that's going to create in her life, the, the uncertainty in the environment in which she lives. In fact, we know that she goes to stay with Elizabeth for much of her pregnancy, probably because she desperately needed a change in venue and, and community in the midst of all this. Mary, you are blessed. Her life is about to be turned completely upside down. That is usually not the time we go, thank you, Lord, I'm blessed. You know, But that's, that's exactly what the angel says to her. You are favored. In fact, I read, interestingly enough, a... Uh, a reflection on, on a study, it was in the 60s, it was by um, Thomas Holmes, a psychologist, and Richard Ra. And they studied 5,000 patients that were dealing with health complications that were often attributed with um, elevated stress levels. So they put together a, um, a test, if you will, to, to measure factors in our lives that can elevate our stress, to kind of help us kind of gauge what the stress level of our lives are. So they, they created 43 life-changing units. These were events that they attributed a um, point system to. So, for instance, getting a new job. And they're not all bad. Getting a new job can cause some stress. So there's points attributed to that. Getting married <laughs> can cause stress. Um, um, certainly, alternative, uh, divorce, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, those elevate stress. Moving elevates stress. So they, there were various points attributed to 43 of these kind of categories. Even Christmas, just Christmas, everybody gets stress points for Christmas. 14 stress points for Christmas. Some of you are thinking, that's way too low. I'm way higher than that right now. So, so, so that was the point. So, so here's the thing. So you take this, and you can do this online. And it says if your point values are between 0 and 150, you're in a pretty good range. You start getting over 150, close to 200, then the likelihood of a, of a very significant health 
event in the next two years starts to go up. About 50%, about 200 points, you start having about a 50% chance of having some health implications within two years. At 300 points, it is um, 80% or higher chance of a significant health event, negative health event, within two years. Now, I share that with you to share this with you. A few years after that, a writer by the name of Bridget Kuhn decided to take the stress test through the lens of Mary. Decided to, to factor in the events Mary is experiencing to try to get a sense of what her stress level would be after the angel appeared to her. So you have pregnancy. You have unmarried pregnancy. You have an impending marriage. You have financial struggles. You have a move to spend the time with Elizabeth. Uh, You have the traveling to Bethlehem. You have no room at the inn. You have all of these events attributed Mary's stress point total to 424 points. Mary, you are blessed. So if we believe that to be true, and I do, then we have to understand blessing a little differently. Because Mary's life didn't get easy. It got exponentially harder after she was highly favored. There's a a conversation in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, specifically in the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've read those, they're children's stories with powerful Uh, Christian imagery, wonderful stories. And if you know the story, there's no way for me to explain it to you in in any short amount of time if you're not. But but understand this, that there's a a character in all the books of the Chronicles of Narnia that represents the Christ figure of the story, and that's Aslan, the lion. And in that, that first, well, in the first book that, that I read, The Lion, the Witch of Wardrobe, two of the children that have come into Narnia, Lucy and Susan, they learn for the first time that Aslan's a lion. And they're afraid to meet him. And they ask Mr. Beaver, again, it's hard to explain this to you if you haven't read them, but they ask Mr. Beaver this question. They're like, I'm, we're kind of afraid to meet him. They ask this, is he safe? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe. No one ever said anything about safe. No, he's not safe, but he's good. And he's the king. And I think that's a powerful reminder for us, what we learn. Is God safe? No. God's not safe. There's nothing about the call of God that's ever safe. Mary knows it. Men and women from Genesis to Revelation learn it. It's not safe, but God is good. So why is she blessed? She's blessed because she is given an opportunity to be a part of God's story. She's being given an opportunity not to receive all the best of life, but to be the instrument in which God will use to be a part of the story that will share God's goodness and God's grace with others. She gets to give, not necessarily receive. Her life becomes very, very difficult. But the opportunity she has to play a part of God's story, to be an instrument that would be a blessing and would change lives, that's what it meant to be blessed. It's not about all the external circumstances. It's about the opportunity to do something significant and impactful with her life. That's what it means to be blessed, to be instruments of impact, to draw close to God. Remember Jesus in a few chapters after what we read here in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives um, the Lucan versions of the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes, the blessed are. 
He says, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Not usually our favorite experiences, but they draw us close to God. And they allow us to be instruments of God's purpose. That's what it means to be blessed. So, so we look today, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment. Are we blessed because we are able to buy presents like this? No. That's not the blessing. The blessing is we can give them. Right? This isn't the, at the blessing. I mean, this is great, but the blessing is that we can be part of giving. Mary was able to be a part of something to give. And that... That's powerful. That is, that is life-changing. And that is favored by God. So she's absolutely favored, but not in the ways that we so often think about it. I just I challenge us to think deeper and wider about what it means to be blessed. The, the power and the, the testimony of Mary's story is her response. All of these things that she does know are about to change in her life. And the last thing she says that we read this morning is she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You remember when Moses got his call in in Exodus chapter 3 when God calls him to go and set the people free and go back to Egypt? If you remember that story, he tried everything he could to get out of it. Exodus 3 and 4, he tries to wiggle every way he can to get out of Moses' call. I mean, out of God's call because he knew it was going to be really tough. I'm overwhelmed by Mary's immediate faithfulness. May it be fulfilled. May it be fulfilled. I'm God's vessel. I'm God's instrument. It is, it's a powerful testimony of, of her faithfulness. It is, it is worthy of, of our respect and, and veneration in, in proper perspective. She teaches us something. God is not safe. God is good. God is good. 1985, Chuck Colson told a story. Well, he told a story from an event in 1985. Chuck Colson, some of you know his backstory, was uh, spent some time in prison as part of the fallout from the Watergate scandal during the Nixon administration. Would come to Christ and would later become an advocate and an instrument for prison ministry, among other things. And he told a story from an event in 1985. He was watching TV one night. He was getting ready to do a um, an event at a prison um, and spent some time with, with inmates in ministry the next day. And he was watching news the night before, and they did a story on Mother Teresa. And they showed her embracing two young men there um, who uh, had been recently released from prison and were dying of AIDS. Now, again, it's 1985. And somebody asked her, they said, why would you, you care about these these two men? And she said, because they are created in the image of God, and they are worthy to know the love of God. And, and Chuck Colson said he was moved by that. He was moved by this display of faithfulness, especially in light of this illness that we remember in the mid-'80s we knew so very little about and that was so amazingly frightening in so many ways. And so the next day he goes and he leads this, this revival there in, in the prison, before he left, one of the um, wardens came and said, Would you mind making a special visit? We have a, a woman who's in isolation. Her name's Bessie Ship. Um, nobody has visited her, and she has AIDS. And he reflected later he did not want to go because it scared him. 
didn't know what the implication of this would be. He didn't want to go, but he couldn't get that image of Mother Teresa out of his mind. So he went, and he sat down with this woman named Bessie, and he asked her if she knew Jesus. And she said, no, but I want to, but I just haven't been able to find him. And so he told her the story of Jesus, and he shared with her the love of God. And by the end of that time together, he and the chaplain of the prison prayed with Bessie as she received Christ, and he said, tears rolled down her face. He said, three weeks later, Bessie Ship went to be with her Lord. And he reflected on that because he knew how close he came to missing the opportunity, how close he came to walking away from the opportunity because, especially based on what he knew in 1985, it wasn't safe. He didn't want to do it, but he felt God calling him to do it. Is God safe? No, but he's good. Does he call us to safe places? No, but he meets us in all places, and he gives us an opportunity to be the the instruments of his love and, and participants in his story. That's the invitation he gives to Mary. And she plays a central role. Nothing is impossible with God. And God's blessings look very different than we might expect them to be, to be. She knew that. That's what we know she knew. The question is, how well do we know? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we do invite you to challenge us and stretch us and expand our understanding of what blessings mean. Let it not be centered on the things that we have received, but rather on the things that we can give and the opportunity we have to serve you. We pray your blessing would be our faithful obedience to your call. That is our prayer in Christ. Amen. Jesus would show us a life of sacrifice and love. Jesus would be a blessing for us because of the price he was willing to pay.